episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey everyone, welcome back to another show. Um, we're excited to be back with you today. We've been dealing with some audio issues, so we're running a little bit late today, but I think we've got it solved. At least we can hear you now, Ken, so we should be good to go. Uh, just a reminder, uh, if you've been listening in the past few episodes, you know that we will be teaching at Locomocosec at the end of June. If you want to come learn about Secure Code Review and how we do it, please, please uh, consider that an opportunity. The classes are open, but we are filling up. And yeah, we've got to, everyone's got to plan travel as it is to get to Hawaii for Locomocosec. So um, yeah, I I don't. I really don't think we have any other announcements besides that. We have uh, applied or put in proposals for a couple other conferences to teach at over the summer. Um, but as always, if you have conferences or if you know, yeah, anything that's opened up that you know you would like us to come either speak at, run a workshop, or teach a training, let us know. Join in on Slack, and we can do it there. Um, but otherwise, Ken, is there any? Are, do you have any other announcements for now? I do. If I could pull up Slack, I'm trying to figure it out. And uh, while I pull it up, uh, I'll give a shout out to Crisp with a K, which is helping us get through this podcast today as I have lots of construction work going on and we were trying to sort out how to get all that noise out of there. So I signed up for that. And it seems it was actually John Pullen who put me on to Crisp, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm trying to pull up this link on uh specifically net that netflix event we did a week and a half ago or so so like not last thursday but the thursday before we um we is in twilio uh netflix and github we did this event it was it was a you know we did a, a kind of trial run to see if we wanted to do more of these sounds like we are going to do more of these and it will um you know, sort of rotate which companies, uh, you know, take the lead on running the events. But let me put this into chat. So there were three talks. Um, and uh, the primary focus here was scaling absent, right? So we will look at other, um, besides rotating the different companies that are actually leading it. We're also going to look at um, uh, the different, uh, sorry, at different topics. So like cloud security, SecOps type stuff, whatever. Like even we've talked about, you know, like privacy concerns and things like that. Um, yes, thank you for reposting that, by the way, Seth. And I, I apologize if I seem really like today, like sputtering to talk and stuff. It is hopefully crisp is 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 cutting all this out. But it, it is it's literally a war zone right now inside my office. So I I'm having a hard time thinking about even yeah. concentrating on what I'm saying, which is going to be interesting as I try to walk through metaprogram <laughs> today. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's metaprogramming. It doesn't really exist, so it'll be fine. It should be okay. Um, yeah, that's right. not a real I, thing. <laughs> yeah. So I wondered about that. Like, I haven't actually watched those talks yet, like the scaling mm -hmm. AppSec stuff. Um, just haven't had a chance to get into it yet. But did you have any specific like call outs or, you know, um, uh, thoughts from that, from those three talks that were given? 
Yeah, I learned, I learned quite a bit. Um, I actually, yeah, so I learned quite a bit from the talks and it gave some, some really good ideas. One was uh, talking about using, oh my God, how am I forgetting the name of this already? Monte Carlo. Um, oh, that's right. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Monte you talked Carlo. a little bit about the Monte Carlo stuff last week. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's used, it's a modeling it's modeling that's used for like a variety of reasons. So like they, they showed in the context of a few things. One is like financial models and things like that. Um, they being like the online tutorials that talk about and explanations of the Monte Carlo model, but um, Netflix specifically is using it as a way to collect enough signals to determine, um, you know, when a service is high risk and when it requires a little bit more uh, work. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, Phil from our code analysis team talked about our fundamentals program. So um, kind of walked through what our service catalog is like, um, what scorecard, how scorecards are attached to uh, service catalog items, how we track durable ownership, um, how we attach sort of the, find, the various vulnerabilities or findings um, to those services and sort of how that whole program gets managed. So I thought that was also interesting. Overall, it's like three primary talks, and then there were some breakout sessions. So I did one over security uh, assessments, um, great conversations there. That was a lot of like the, the breakout sessions. So there were three main talks, but then there were like other breakout sessions. We did one, two, at, actually three from GitHub, uh, one on security assessments, which I led. With, or I shouldn't say I led. I, I should say I, I really took a, I tried to support uh, Netflix, because they did a great job organizing that. So I don't want to take credit there because yeah, that, that team did a great job. Um, but anyways, it was a lot of just asking the, the kind of people there attending those panels. Um, yeah, just questions about like, you know, how they're handling prioritization of different things they're going to review. Do they do threat models um, for everything? Is it more of like, you know, the security team doing threat models? Is it self-service? Things like that. The other two ones from uh, GitHub specifically were around um, PCERT, so our product security incident response team and their activities and what it's like to be on that team and, and, and all of that work that they, they do. And that team's amazing. Um, and then uh, the bug bounty team as well. Both are managed by Jill Monet Corallo. Um, she's a great manager, uh, awesome person to work with. Um, and our teams are doing fantastic work. So I was very like happy with how the event went off and, the conversations that occurred and yeah. So hopefully, uh, Oh, sorry. Do I have a robot voice going on? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure it's because it's because the, you know, as crisp as, as the AI is trying to figure out what your voice is versus what the, the background noise uh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a very special uh, robot episode of absolute AppSec. <laughs> I it's apologize. Good, this is like a nightmare to try and podcast through, but hey, we're uh, this show stops for nothing. Um, <laughs> the show must go on, uh, unless yeah, unless we're out of town or on vacation or something. And no, it doesn't. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, um, right. So, anyways, we're gonna do more of these. We're gonna rotate between different companies. I'm super stoked about it, and um, that's all I can say right now. Um, we'll find out when the next one is, and I'll do more to promote it. This, okay. this, like I said, this is the first one. So it was more just like, I don't want to call it a test run, but it sort of was right. You know, in a sense. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's good info to have. Right. And I, like, I, I also, 
I don't know, like the, the whole hallway con stuff I still miss, right? Like the, it's, it's always great to get on the webinars and have those longer sessions and the stuff that's running during the day. Um, I, you know, part of me wishes there was more of that kind of, um, natural, uh, I don't know, almost the village idea attached to other conferences, not just DEF CON, right? Where, you know, you get together about specific topics like this, um, because there's a lot to learn from your peers from, you know, obviously other people in the industry. So uh, yeah, I'll be interested to, you know, to see how the rest of it goes. And it's on my list to watch. It just hasn't, it just hasn't happened yet on my end. So yeah, Nothing they're pretty, happened. they're pretty short talks. I think the max amount of time is like 25 minutes. So thankfully it's not a huge lift for folks. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. We'll check it out. Um, the other thing Neil did post this and it did pop up this morning, right. Um, in Slack that, uh, and I wondered what your thoughts were on this because it looks like miles from the NPM team res responded as well, but there is this, uh, Twitter thread on taking over someone's package because it was, um, because they had allowed their, their custom domain to expire. And that was the email address that they were using for the for each package on NPM. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did you see that? Uh, did you see anything about that, Ken? I mean, honestly, this happens really frequently. So, yeah, I didn't catch this specific one. Like the overarching problem, we're, we're obviously trying to address that. Um, but so like... How old is this thread? Um, that would help me. Oh, it's yesterday. Yeah. So this yesterday. is actually, yep. this is old. I mean, this technique is old. I mean, uh, I'm yeah. not, you know, it, this is, this is known about like, so anyways, it's, I don't really know. Let's see, uh, the email address for account doesn't always match the email address used to publish a package in the future. If you send a fact ways to compromise my impact accounts, please feel free to submit our five-minute program. By the way, Miles Boren, freaking awesome human being, really great to work with. Yeah. Good, really, really intelligent and thoughtful developer. Um, I'd be hard pressed to find somebody in security that uh, you know was as um, good at. I mean, not to be like critical oh. of folks, but like he's really good at his gym. So that's that's basically what I'm saying. To do this particular yeah, attack was I... published about in December of 2021, and we've been aware for quite a bit longer. We have a couple of things in place to protect against it, but if you do manage to find to do it to take over, yeah, exactly. Like we, this is not anything new, but somebody you know uh, did it again and posted and Twitter again. Uh, yeah, I mean, account takeover risks. <laughs> yeah, account takeover risks, right? Like we've known. Uh, like you said, we've known about this for a long time. And uh, like, I don't know, I, the, you know, one of the fun ones that somebody presented at, you know, DEF CON or I can't even remember Black Hat or one of the B-Sides events years ago was the, um, the ability to, uh, they registered domains associated with past malware, right? And then just look to see what, you know, how many people were still reporting in the number of, uh, infected machines that were still out there. Um, so it, like, and that, that, that's almost on the flip side, right? Rather than maliciously doing it, I take over something that's a known bad domain that got shut down years ago, but still accessible or somebody could still register it. And I, like, 
yeah, I, it, it's a problem for sure, but there, there are ways to prevent them from happening. I mean, as a maintainer, you probably don't want to lose control of your sensitive domains just in general. That's, that's probably a good practice outside of, you know, proper passwords to FA, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a number of ways, which I will not go into, uh, to abuse not only NPM, but other similar connected systems with, you know, basically dangling subdomains or dangling domains that you can you can uh, take over. And so there's yeah. the threat model around expired and unmaintained both subdomains and domains is pretty large and affects a lot of uh various systems and so there are mitigations in place in many many systems but no mitigation is you know ever going to be foolproof right 100 percent. so um no this is uh not that interesting to me i'll be quite honest i don't mean that to be rude it's just it's like yeah i mean this is the same thing that i've seen time and time again i think what's more interesting are the the protections that uh Hopefully we can discuss a little bit more in depth at some point um, yeah. against things like this. I think that's far more interesting than doing the same thing. Well, I mean, we keep going day. back to this well as a podcast when we're talking, right? Because it's a, it feels like still a huge gap that we have in security, right? Like this, who do we trust? Um, are we put, are we placing trust in the right places? So package maintainers, the way, especially with CICD pipelines, the way we build software nowadays, we put a huge amount of trust into these third party vendors and like NPM. And I, I mean, I know you guys are, you know, on top of it, but it also makes me question other package maintainers that are out there that are smaller, don't have the resources uh, to do the same level or put the same level of scrutiny on packages as they are being deployed. Um, since there is that kind of long tail and as new languages and frameworks pop up, there's more and more, I mean, new people get involved in this, right? Like, so there's, there's not a kind of a standard that goes into how do we run a package repository? Um, yeah. So I, I, I think there's going to continue to be attacks against them. Um, even if, yeah, even if NPM happens to solve it, it doesn't mean that Go or Python or any of the others may not have the same vulnerability. And I know you guys talk, right? Or I know. Yeah. So it's just interesting to actually see how much um, chatter there is out there about it. Um, people are starting to recognize that it's more and more of a threat starting the third party package, you know, to vendor their own packages in that kind of, you know, activity that goes on that we've talked about for a while, but it's still, it's still interesting to see right? from my perspective. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, I mean, uh, I should say it's not like disinterest. I, I don't know. I just, you know how it goes, man, like deal with enough of the same thing it gets boring after a while you're like eh, yeah i don't know <laughs> but uh what's even cooler is um talking to the maintainers <laughs> directly first but <laughs> yes anyways moving forward uh <laughs> what a fucking salty curmudgeonly mood today as you can tell <laughs> what's uh, even cooler is if you notify people and let them fix it yeah and before yeah, yeah. trying to be nice um, yeah that would but be also nice. feel like not nice so anyways cool 
So do you want to dig into meta programming? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I love Neil's take. Uh, Neil's uh, very spicy today. He's cracking me up, actually. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Like, uh, so, which is funny because on that note, uh, I felt the same way, Neil, uh, but more about consolidating product stuff but you know more about that part of a part of github at one time sadly you are now not my heart hurts for that but, um okay i'm trying sorry i'm trying to get uh set up here and share my screen now gen genuinely i love i love neil and having him around was i'm sad you're gone um i mean that genuinely so uh, anyways, going back to, hopefully you can see my screen now, like you should see VS Code. Yeah, yep, we do. Okay. Um, actually, shoot, hold on. Something I didn't think about here. You know what? I'm going to share a different screen if I can pop. Hopefully I don't break everything. Open my laptop lid, like everything's going to break. Let's see. Okay. Hopefully you can still see me or not see me, but see my screen. Hold on. Uh, hold on. I'm going to move it down. Let's get started. Okay. So the reason we're doing this metaprogramming, um, real brief breakdown of metaprogramming is actually just because like, it's kind of, it's kind of a prerequisite to us explaining the funness or the interesting parts of this, um, I'm so annoyed today with technology. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, so to, this... to, to just further explain that, basically, in... yeah. Yeah. Wasn't this the, the so this is based on that recent um, exploit that came out for Ruby, right? Yeah, so there's like this whole article about deserialization um, and attacking widgets for code execution inside of Rails, and sort of they did a walkthrough of like how they how they found it, what they did, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, but before we can get into that, I mean, like we have to kind of explain what metaprogramming is. Now, that's one thing to talk about it. It's another when you start walking through and showing code snippets, and you can easily lose people. Uh, with the concept. And I've seen this time and time again. And, and um, frankly, like one of the, okay, so not that I'm advocating, I'm showing this in Ruby, but this exists in other, you know, other places. And not that I'm advocating for the use of Ruby. This isn't the point of why I'm showing this. I'm showing this because um, when metaprogramming goes wrong, or when someone walks through how they, how they, you know, found metaprogramming going wrong, um, gosh, is that actually showing uh it's not yeah, i'm seeing the terminal window right now no, and not the yeah sorry i'm say just riding the struggle bus real hard all right screen two you should see everything okay all right cool i looks good to me now all right so yes uh, anyways, it's uh, what am I trying to say? So, anyways, it's easy to show this in Ruby because Ruby's got a ton of metaprogramming. Um, I can do this in an interactive way; it'll be quick. 
Um, and then, of course, like the actual walkthroughs in Ruby. So I kind of have to show you this. This is why this is all in Ruby. I'm not advocating for the, whatever. Like, yeah. But one reason, and the reason I say this is one one thing that I saw with security people, uh, whenever Ruby comes up and they're like, ah, boo, Ruby sucks, blah, 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 whatever. Reoccurring theme when I really dug into it with others and had conversations was really they just had a hard time getting their environment set up to begin with to even write any Ruby code. That was the main thing. Yep. So if so if you can't get past that, it's hard to appreciate and understand the the fun that is metaprogramming and how flexible Ruby is. Like when you look at meta, uh, sorry, when you look at Metasploit, uh, which at one point, and I don't know if this is still true, was the largest Ruby application ever, right? Um, the way it works, or what the reason it works the, the way it does and it works so well is because they can really, they can write code on the fly within the application as it's run. This is incredibly important, right? Because any time you do like input, right? Like you, you use some module, uh, whatever, and give some options, like those are, you know, essentially being sent to predefined methods or to methods that get defined on the fly, as well as modules that get loaded up on the fly. So why is that interesting? Like, or why is that useful? Well, when you're sitting there with a program, it's essentially just doing a read line loop and you need to take input and initiate and, and like load in code to do stuff and send off exploits and maintain sessions and all this stuff. You also need to be able to deload that stuff from the memory stack and basically just be able to have a very flexible program on a very large scale that also safely handles, you know, memory allocation or all that. So anyways, that's the kind of the gist. So let's break down first, uh, you know, some meta, uh, sorry. Well, I, and I did want to go back to this, right? Like for, for the developers that are out there, especially classically trained computer scientists, the idea of metaprogramming um, is not... It, it shouldn't be all that strange, right? Like if you start talking about reflect, reflection and the available to inspect um, the current running instance of code and make decisions based on that and like change your code based or change the behavior of your application based on what it's seeing, right? That's, that's all that metaprogramming is. Ruby just takes it to another level because it depends on it so heavily, right? So um, sorry, go ahead, Ken. I, well, I'm just thinking about yeah, reflection so like, and stuff like that because you, you're able to do this in Java and JavaScript and other languages, but it's not as inherent in the programming language as it is with Ruby. That's all. Right. Um, well, it's also yeah. There's I think there's a lot more. Honestly, I think there's a lot more convenient. Like basically, Ruby made object-oriented programming a first-class feature, and better programming is a heavy part of that. Um, though, like you said, Java does it, Python does it, other app, uh, software stacks do it, but you know, this is anyways. So, okay. So, uh, yeah, just to real quickly, we have a class here. If I can see this thing here, uh, basically it's just going to print out, um, it apparently do. Oh, right. Uh, sorry. So we're going to do, uh, we're going to take a class. We're going to send it. So initialize just means you can initialize the class into memory and, and you know, have a have the class object with all the methods available to us. So we could be able to, so we should be able to call some methods. So if we do, uh, you know, call Ruby example, I'm passing in, uh, you know, my class.new, giving it the John string variable, uh, which is what at name 
uh, becomes, right? Let's take a name, at name becomes name, and we're putting name. And obviously, uh, I could do something like my object equals, uh, you know, my class.new, whatever, and I can call um, some method. And uh, I'm going to put its name there uh, because we want this method to show, you know, hello. Hello, Jim. All right, so uh, working pretty well. Um, and this is all standard stuff, right? None of this is meta programming, right? It's, this is pretty basic. So I'm, I've got a class. I've created a receiver object, which is what that is, my object. Um, and I'm just calling the method, which is defined within my class. So nothing super fancy there. But where it gets a little bit interesting is when we start doing things that are a little bit more crazy. So what I'm going to do instead uh, of using the default John one that I've passed in, I'm actually going to first. So I'm going to instantiate with that John variable. But before I call some method, I'm going to define, I'm going to redefine rather uh, what at name is inside that class. So I'm going to do my object uh, instance variable set uh, at name uh, John. So what I'm doing is I'm setting the at name instance variable, which is what at name is. It's an instance variable to um, something different. So I'll put uh, set, right? Um, now, when I call some method, uh, if everything works, I've overridden the original instance variable being set, and uh, I've you know created, I've defined it as Seth, right? So that's that's one way of metaprogramming, right? Like I have an object already in the mem in memory, but instead of uh, you know going with that uh, value that was used at initialization, I'm overriding it. So let's do something else a little bit further, right? So. Um, Let's go a little bit further and say my object dot define, and I'm going to define a singleton method. Uh, I don't want to get into the complexities of a single singleton method, but essentially you can think of it as um, um, it's the class itself instantiated uh, as an object, um, and like. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like weird stuff that comes with that. But um, all right, hold on. So I'm going to take. I'm trying to do this with so much noise going on. You have no <laughs> idea how loud it is in here. And I'm glad you don't. Um, it is really hard to concentrate. Uh, so anyways, going down to it, what's going to happen this is, is so let me explain this real this quick. Is... Yeah, this is going to be the new way that we interview people is make them uh, code in the middle of a war, uh, you know, yeah, ongoing construction site. If you can't do it there, when can you do it? Right? Like, yeah. Right. So I'm yeah, exactly. All right. So what I'm doing is I'm defining uh, some other method is literally the name of that method. I'm just going to put goodbye to whatever the name uh, variable is, which in this case should be Seth. Um, and then I'm going to invoke that method that we just defined. So if everything works, which it probably won't, hopefully it does. Okay, it did work. Good. All right. So I was able to, to take an object, break it apart, peer into it, define a new method using and calling it some other method, and then just like, yeah, giving it... Um, this is this uh, within the blocks is actually just you could get more fancy. You could do do, and then you could like on the next line do like some stuff, and then end and whatever. Um, so that's that's another way to do a block is what we call it in Ruby, and in other languages as well. Um, but anyways, uh, I I mean one of the just, one of the important right. things to 
to call out here, Ken, is that that singleton method, that some other method that you defined is actually, it only exists in, within the, the context of my object, right? As opposed to my class, which was defined right. up, and up above. Mm -hmm. You haven't actually changed that. You've, you've created an instance of that object. You've, you've bolted additional functionality onto it just programmatically, as opposed to, hey, I'm going to go back and rewrite this code, recompile it. I'm doing it on the fly. So again, metaprogramming, you're doing it on the fly within the, the context of the running code base. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to show you one other thing too, because this is the last thing that's going to kind of come into place or come into play, not place, play rather later when we actually, in a second, when we show the actual walkthrough. So you're going to see um, dot send you. So I just want to really quickly show what um, dot send is. So I'm redefining... Um, we just go ahead and remove all this other stuff. So I'm going to go and redefine some method to actually take a value. And it's going to say like, uh, you know, hello val value, right? So I'm just going to do my object dot send. Um, and I have to give it the name of the method, which is some method and a value. So uh, yeah, I'll just, that's great. That's actually perfect. Uh, this is autocomplete, by the way, in case you're wondering how, my, how I'm doing it so fast auto completion, that's actually, uh, what is it? Copilot uh, plugin in play there. Um, anyway, so I'm gonna uh, do a send, which is basically I'm invoking, uh, you know, that method, and then um, uh, of you know, my object and um, sending it on value. So should work no problem. Hopefully, yeah. Hello world. Okay, cool. So that's all. That's all I wanted to really walk through here was that you know. And there's a lot of other ways to do all of this stuff. I mean, there's like, you could do like, uh, let's see, my class, uh, actually, you could do this, um, myclass.constantize.classify, right? Or is it classify.constantize? Sorry. I am so rusty here. I think it should be, yeah. And then um, I should be able to do that new. Yeah, I'll just put that. Uh, again, just mm, here, because I'm probably messing this up. I'm just going to take a string, which is not an object, constantize it, and then that's basically just invoking it. That's what I'm going to Sorry, one sec here. <sighs> it's okay. It's live programming, right? So I hate this. Yeah, that's the one thing. I, uh... We're getting there. I promise. I promise we're getting yes, there. Yes, we're getting and, there. Uh, if you are just listening to this, you may want to go check the YouTube video for it, right? Um, as you know, but we will. Yeah, Ken will get into the actual walkthrough of the vulnerability here shortly. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I'm, if I'm struggling past another like 30 seconds, I'll, uh, I'll try to figure out what, Oh, I think I'm, yeah. Sorry. It's cause I'm not using rails. Jeez. That's why. Oh my goodness, dude. Like I am definitely rusty. So yeah, it's cause I'm not using rails. I, I just realized that if I was in the interactive or if I was in the, uh, sorry, rails concept, I'd be able to call constantize, but instead I'd actually have to include a module that, that has the method constantize. But basically what would happen is if I took a string and I called dot constantize on it, it actually does create it. Uh, 
create a, uh, a class object out of it, which you can then basically what I'm saying is you can take a string, you can constantize it and a string becomes an object that you can actually then do stuff with. So you can either invoke the different methods there within that class or module or you've instantiated. And then on top of that, you can redefine things at will, as you saw with some of those methods I called. Those are just, that's just the beginning of metaprogramming. This, this pool goes very, very deep. So just uh, now let's walk through the actual walkthrough here. So now that you have like a, a basic kind of understanding of that, let's get into the actual walkthrough here. So now it has been like two weeks since I've read this because this was actually content for like two weeks ago. So we'll see how much I can remember as I try to do this on the fly with tons of noise and yeah, the day that I'm having. Um, all right. So right. So will you share that link with people too? He is sure. showing the, the article on HTTP void, right? It's on, a, it's on GitHub. Yeah, it's pretty cool right up. I really definitely enjoyed reading this. So uh, the idea was, and this is where this is where we're going to tie it all back to Metasploit a little bit, right? So when when um, let's go back like years ago when there was the default for for Ruby on Rails serialization was for cookies to be deserialized. It was uh, what is it? What do you call it? Um, uh, Marshall. Marshall was used to deserialize sessions. So now the default, I think, is like JSON, but I, I believe you have the option if you wanted to, to switch it back to Marshall. But anyways, what we saw was when a session key was stolen, right? Um, or if it had been like uploaded to GitHub or Bitbucket or whatever, or just been, so, I don't know, somehow otherwise disclosed, people were able to craft their own sessions with um, this actual value, this deprecated instance variable proxy class, which essentially when invoked allows you to just create arbitrary, arbitrarily, like just create things, methods. You, this is how remote code execution worked. And in Metasploit, they had created a module that automated it. So you pointed in, you, you pointed at your target, you uh, had like your um, session key that you had gotten for that application. And assuming they were using Marshall, um, you'd load up the class, or sorry, you'd load up the, uh, the Metasploit module, um, send off your payload. It would use active support deprecation, deprecated instance variable proxy to uh, basically write a bunch of code that gave you, um, yeah, remote code execution, like you're on the command line. So, uh, but there have, there have been some things that were fixed. So um, they, yeah, they talk about like, you know, there was a fix for, uh, now they're talking about not in the session, by the way, they're talking like, so they're not talking about the session deserialization. They're talking about the rails gadget deserialization. Um, and, uh, they show the fix here for the originally discovered, uh, vulnerability where they just pretty much just don't allow things to be marshaled. So content to be marshaled, user supplied content to be marshaled. Right. Um, That's not the one I was looking at. Um, all right, so I'm just going to read through this. Um, all right, so like I said, they said uh, you know this was the way that it was exploited. Now, um, uh, the, the, the primitive that we got with this technique was that we can execute any method on any object, but without any arguments. So this is the send method I was showing. Well, 
kind of a different version of it with the uh, underscores there. But in any case, basically it's the same thing, right? You're able to invoke a method, but not necessarily send any arguments to it. So that's like the first interesting challenge there, right? Um, then they talk about initial file, right? Um, okay, so they use grepping and semgrep of the various Rails components. That's that's essentially what had happened here. Um, they were looking for ways in which they could, you know, write content and then have it uh, deserialized. So first, they're looking for in this case a file write, which is pretty cool, right? Because if you can if you can control what's being written to a file, then you can you know load up your your serialized uh, remote code execution payload and then have it presumably um, read in later. So they found this sprocket manifest, it's all auto-loaded by the Rails application, has a save method uh, where it actually does some file writing with uh, what looks to be user-supplied content. Uh, so JSON encode method is called on the instance variable at data that you can set during the marshalling. Uh, the file name instance variable can also be set to any path. Um, so uh, they continued using the active support deprecation deprecated instance variable proxy primitive, um, call save method on it, and they're able to uh, get file write um, control uh, with you know, controlling the contents of that file write. Um, so even though they had file write, they said they couldn't um, necessarily, you know, achieve uh, code execution um, uh, quite yet. So they were looking for a way to actually read back in that file and then do some metaprogramming on it. So instance eval is uh, essentially, you know, like any eval in any um, any programming stack, right? It's usually the execution of code. So this is where they were sort of like, oh, this might be interesting. You can read the file that we had, the, that we had written our contents to, uh, and it's using instance eval to, to like, you know, execute on the file that they control the contents of. So that's interesting. Um, so now they're looking at two different ways to perform uh, that remote code execution. So they're using the sprockets manifest to, uh, to perform try file write at known location. Yep. And then using this to load the instance. Uh, and then they came away with the following exploit. So um, taking in from the command line arguments, uh, some data, they're setting the file location, they're giving the data, they're giving that file some, uh, presumably some permissions uh, to do. They've got a eval.txt, they're writing, um, they're calling dot allocate on that active support deprecation uh, instance variable proxy class. Um, then they're, yeah, setting an instance variable, uh, load, that uh, bar is loading, and then um, they're going to do a Marshall dump. Okay, cool. So that's where the actual deserialization occurs and that's where the code should be executed. Um, but where it gets a little bit interesting is uh, when, so, well, I'll just read through it. So since <laughs> since they're playing around with previous deserialization gadgets, they wanted to go a bit further. Um, and so they wanted to look at uh, the gadget chain in Ruby on Rails applications. Um, so they wanted to use Marshall load of the gem requirement class, which is pretty interesting. Obviously, that's just for your gems. Um, so this had been patched. Uh, so they looked at other Marshall load implementations. Um, to, to do. So this is where you see uh, more of the instance variable set stuff that I've been talking about earlier. Um, 
And because they can set the argument, they can pass an array of two elements. So that allows them to both invoke uh, or create a method and then actually have it take some, uh, yeah, some parameters there. <sighs> However, or sorry, we will set Ivar's tall instance of the gem package char reader class, similar to what we've done in tech. However, changes made down the line in the Ruby code, which broke the previous gadget chain. So I just want to take a real. This might be the one I'm interested in. It's been, like I said, a couple of weeks, maybe even a few weeks since I originally read this, Seth. Um, let's see here. Nope, it's yeah, it's good. Right. It's, OK. Yeah. See this? This is important right here. They took away the send uh, the default send um, definition that was in there. Right. So now it's at writer .call. And at writer is, uh, let's see, so, yeah, because if you look at it before, uh, write adapter took two parameters, socket and method, um, and then that was, you know, presumably under the attacker control. Um, and in this case, it's just been changed to a writer object. Um, let's see, self-applied, writer.inspect, um, and yeah, ultimately not calling dot send. So that's a um, good change there. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, no, nothing. Just yeah, keep at it. Like it's it's interesting to see how it's progressed over time, right? Like you know how. Anyway, just just keep at it. We're almost. You're almost through. Yeah. All right. So we looked at def various definitions of the call methods on different classes to look for a dangerous sync, right? Like with eval or kernel open or something. So in the Sprockets ERB processor class, they found some bits that looked interesting. So they're calling erb.new, uh, let's see, content, creating a, creating a class, um, constant set, uh, class eval, oh, class eval, that's interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, if we are able to somehow control the argument pass on the call method, we get code execution. Okay, cool. So because this is actually like the call method defined here. So they're just walking through what like, what exactly does call all do? And uh, so if they control the arguments, which is input, um, you know, they've got a lot going on here, right? Uh, ERB templates being initialized. Um, once you figure out the, uh, oh, input has a file name attached to it. That's interesting. Like attribute the yeah. pull out of it. Yeah. Context uh, class.new. Yeah, so you're instantiating a class based off of user input, um, which is always good, right? If you want remote remote code execution. Remote code. Yep. <laughs> so they're 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 setting a constant uh, variable there, which is env, um, and then they're doing a class eval, so they're actually executing the class too. Um, so yeah, these are all pretty dangerous things, right? Not not if 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 uh, you know dot call contains user input. Um, so with this in mind, we aimed to gain control over the argument of call methods, but after a lot of searching for technology that we couldn't find right. Um, okay. So they couldn't find, Hmm. Gain control over the argument of call method, but after a lot of, okay. Ruby. Oh yeah. Ruby's logger class. Yeah. There's definitely been some vulnerabilities in Ruby loggers class before. Anyways, Ruby's logger class had a method which could be used to call the write method with one argument, no control on any object. Okay. So we're getting a little closer. Then we looked at how we can jump around from the write method to a useful piece of code. 
Uh, and this is under the rack response class, writer.call chunk to string. So if you can call that write method with a chunk, uh, then at writer.call will have will invoke that call method with your chunk uh, being you know converted to a string. Um, which is fine if yeah, you got a deserialized data that's going to become an object. So go from a string to an actual like bit of code that gets loaded and executed. All right, so now that calls buffered body. Uh, buffered body says if the body is an array, uh, whatever else if body responds to. This response to, by the way, is actually a uh, way of asking something if it has that method. So like, for instance, at body could represent the body class. And I'm like looking to see if it has a method called each in it, right? Um, you know, obviously, this, this is not a, a, the body class. It's it's uh, um, so if it's a body is an array, do something else if the body responds to each. Uh, so some sort of block, basically, that you would iterate through, then you do uh, body dot each do you'd strip out whatever parts of that uh, structure like. So if, if this was an array, you know, each item in the array would rep be represented by this part uh, variable there. Um, Anyways, it's obviously not because it didn't go there. So um, at writer.call uh, part 2s. So part uh, being the items in this enumerator, this body enumerator, uh, which should be under your control. Okay. All right. So I'm, <laughs> I'm rereading this. I get it now. All right. So basically uh, when it gets here, it's some sort of enumerator that re responds to at dot each. Um, and that could be a big giant st string that's separated by new lines, for instance. So there's a lot of things that could be that enumerable body. Um, anyway, so then when it does call or when it enumerates each line or each element rather in that enumerator, it will call writer.call with that uh, user content converted to a string, which as we know from looking above will actually become a class and have like code executed and all that fun stuff. So anyways, if they can supply at body to be an object, which is not an array and has an each method, we would be able to invoke call method on an object by setting at writer. I can see where this is going already. Uh, but anyways, values uh, yielded from each method call on body, but two string method is called on the argument as well, right? So that's like a little, that could be limiting, but we're talking about deserialization, so probably not. Simply put, we can do the following, anything.call anything to string, which is one step closer to our objective in getting back to the Sprocket's ERB processor class to achieve code execution. Um, so then they said we'd figure we'd set that body to an instance of set. Uh, it will no longer be an array and also have an each method that will loop over its elements similar to an array. If And that's essentially what you want. You want an enumerator of some kind. Uh, if we set at body to an instance of set.new and at writer to sprockets ERB processor instance, then we can achieve this uh, by calling dot call A, which is exactly what we wanted. Okay, cool. There's a catch, however, sprockets, uh, blah, 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 method expects its argument to be a hash. Uh, and if two string method is called on a hash, it will give string representation, which will error out further down the line. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely true. Like converting a hash to a string can sometimes have some wonky, um, basically the format becomes unrecognizable to the interpreter. Um, but anyways, fortunately people at LLETTAM already pointed out, so LT, Tam already pointed out an interesting two-string implementation, which can be used to return any value. Okay. Oh, interesting. So there, 
So the alias. So this is another metaprogramming-ish thing where you can use alias to redefine a variable name uh, to... So basically the alias for two string is name, right? Interesting. Yeah. So 2S is an alias to at name. And if we set at name on gem security policy instance, then two string method will return at name itself. This can be represented in Ruby as follows. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Cool. So yeah, we got the key value, got the A at name. So now we're controlling a lot of things here. This is pretty interesting. So now they're going to call sprockets ERB processor.call with a key and a value in the format of a hash. Uh, and it's going to work is I guess the bottom line. Uh, however, we need to so they go a little bit farther. I don't want to go into all this nuance here. Um, maybe I do. However, at the line X, we need to set an environment key in our input hash to such an object that's calling concepts on the phone. Error out. Okay. All right. Um, for which we can utilize the context class. Okay. So setting the context as a sprockets context. Uh, which after this, another. Another small requirement is the constructor of Sprocket's context class also required metadata to be set. Um, so where do they set that? Uh, yeah, ah, down at the go. bottom all of that right. article. Yeah, yep, they've got yeah. all okay. of those. Yeah, you found it. Ah, I see, okay, yeah. All right, so this is the total... It looks like this is the actual uh, RCE on the gadget. So they require sprockets, uh, define a gem package tar reader, uh, invoke a rack response.allocate. They set an instance variable of uh, at buffered to false. They do rails initialize, initializer, and they set an instance variable uh, with the context as sprocks context.allocate. They set uh, gem security policy.allocate instance variable set name. Uh, at name has a hash that has a file name with a value, an environment value, a data value, which is like, so this is ERB. Now this is important because when we talked about ERB above, when it was being instantiated through the dot call method, um, ERB, this is actually ERB template language. So ERB is uh, eRubis. It's an HTML template language. These operators here basically say like, hey, anything between here and here is code. So even though this is a string, if you create, you know, instantiate an ERB object and pass in this data, what it'll say is, oh, this is like the templating language. Okay, let's do whatever's in here. These little uh, annotations in Ruby right here, uh, little uh, quotes there, that, that actually uh, indicates system code. Um, so if you did like system parentheses and touch tempone.txt, it had the same effect. Um, and then it passes in a metadata variable of an empty hash. Um, and it's kind of doing some uh, additional instance variable setting with that body and the writer and all the other things they mentioned they actually need to have control over and set. And then at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're uh, defining Marshall dump. They're saying for the gem installer to allocate, uh, you know, call that and instantiate that. Um, and, you know, essentially that's where your remote code execution is going to come into play. So, um, and final is basically everything that you saw above here. Um, it sounds like being, uh, yeah, so this this actually here, sorry. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the, uh, in conclusion, hopefully with all the noises that's been going on, all the technical issues and my general uh, sort of, you know, 
doing what I can here. Hopefully that made some sense to folks. It's a, it's yeah. a pretty, I wanted to go into this and dedicate like a lot of our episode to it because it's, it's obviously not an easy thing to sort of discuss and walk through and without somebody being able to answer questions, like if anybody has questions too, feel free to post those in the chat. Um, but this is not a, this is not a like simple uh, topic to cover and metaprogramming is something that usually like blows people's minds or makes them sort of like, what is this? This is weird. Too weird for me. You know, you have different reactions yeah. to it. Yep. Now. Okay. So my question to you on that, like this deserialization gadget exists, they figured out how to do code execution. Like where does this come into play? Right. Like as a, you know, as a developer, if I'm using Ruby or rails, what is it? 2.0.3.4, whatever it is. Um, like when will this come into play? Um, as far as like my code or what I'm building on my site. Uh, but are you, are you asking if, if it's currently vulnerable to all of this or? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. So if I'm running rails, what 2.0 to 3.2, I think it was. Yeah. Then everything's uh, vulnerable. Correct. Um, well, we're on rail seven at this point, so I don't think it should be a huge deal, but, um, Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Yeah, it shouldn't be anything that, you know, is really like impactful for, for people. It's more of just, I think, um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's, uh, it, it, it is, this is something that you need to be worried about if you're, you're, you know, you're developing a modern application. Um, no, it's not something you should be super concerned about. But I do think why I like to highlight this is that, you know, you hear a lot about like remote code execution and web applications, but nobody, or not nobody, but a lot of times if it's not a simple sort of like, you know, one line um, kind of exploit, uh, it's difficult to get detailed write-ups on it. Yeah. And I think this was the most detailed write-up that I had seen in a long time on how to actually find, both find, also overcome roadblocks in um, trying to get your metaprogramming style uh, remote code execution attacks to work. Um and so really it's not necessarily an awareness as in like you need to go patch immediately or anything like that. It's more awareness as in like, it's just a very interesting, good detailed write-up. And like, I thought it was really fun to kind of, to follow. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that is another thing that I wanted to highlight here is the amount of, um, the, um, the amount of stuff that they had to try in order to get the, the RCE to actually run, right? So, uh, you know, always dipping, dipping back into the code, how they're implementing Ruby, how they're implementing specific functions like Rider and other places. This is what, you know, traditional, like when you're looking for RCE, it's typically some sort of a chained attack, right? It's not just one function that you have to hit up like some of the easy, you know, RCEs that are out there. It's usually, hey, there's three or four levels deep. It's pulling in a file from somewhere. You're creating an ERB. You're creating some sort of template that is then where the execution happens. And it only happens because you're using Marshall and it's converting to name. Like they're, they're, all of these like steps that people take uh, to execute it is usually why the vulnerabilities work so well and why it's hard to actually eliminate them um, from a maintainer perspective, right? Um, because it's not like I can just go in and change, you know, that, you know, Ruby 3.2 or whatever version to update um, that code base. I've got to be aware of it's coming in from my users as a developer 
and eliminate the, you know, the input or just not use deserialization when it comes down to it. Right. Um, well, yeah. So yeah. In, honestly, it's not even just deserialization, right? Like it's, it's, um, you know, because uh, deserialization using Marshall is one way to achieve it or pickle in, in Python or um, yeah. what is the, uh, what's the, uh, the, the one, uh, oh, there's, there's another one I'm having, a, no, I'm having another brain fart. Uh, there's another standard I'm thinking of, but it's not necessarily always deserialization um, that causes the remote code execution. And with Ruby, it's, 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 it's weird because it has so much flexibility that that's, that's why I'm kind of pointing this out as well is that like when I mentioned constantize, you know, in a rails application, a constantize method, you know, if you just call that on a string, like, and it's user supplied input, you, you can allow your, your uh, user to, to create a class inside of your applic running application um, on the fly. If you're using instance variable set, if you're using send, if you're using different, there's all these different convenience methods. And if you somehow manage to, to make a mistake where you're now calling those methods, trying to make things overly flexible. And this is something I know you and I talk about is trying to overload methods and make things entirely too flexible. Um, the idea is usually that people want to, you know, don't repeat yourself, right? The dry method where it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to re I don't want to write like, and it's, and it's super nuanced and we could go really deep into this, but like, you know, instead of having like uh, three methods or four methods, it'll be like one really flexible method that can handle many use cases. And it has mostly this is supposed to have mostly similar outcomes, you know, and produced by that function, but it does things. Uh, it has to be flexible for, for different types of input or different type of data structures. Like we were talking about arrays versus hashes versus just regular enumerators that don't fit into hashes or um, like, like I was mentioning how a long string with new line blocks, if you load that up and you call dot each, that's an enumerator and each line it gets enumerated. So there's many different data structures. And so like to take my manic sounding tangent and condense it, uh, if you take multiple methods and you try to shove them into one and become overly flexible, typically that's where we see like vulnerable vulnerabilities pop up. Um, when you, what was the method you found that for? Was it the, the change password function? And um, what was that we did on After Dark? Uh, on Laravel? Laravel, Laravel.io, yeah. Where you discovered that, hey, they made it flexible so that there's two different places where this can oh. get invoked and one requires a current password, but one shouldn't require a current password because there is no current password. And they tried to make that method overly flexible. And so then in doing so allowed you to just omit a parameter from being sent to that function, which was like the current password or confirm yep. password or whatever. And if you didn't give that, then it said, okay, well, we're not doing the like need a current password uh, check. We're just going to like go ahead. And so that's, that's like a good example of like overloading a method just to like not repeat yourself. But in that case, you should absolutely have been repeating yourself. <laughs> it's a nuanced yeah, balance, yeah. right? It, it, it is. is as a programmer, you don't want to like rewrite over and over and over again, functions that are super similar, but there is a balancing act where if you, you can cause security issues for sure by trying to overdo it. So, yep. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a good recommendation on what when you should do it and when you shouldn't, right? Like it's because it is so situational um, from a security perspective, right? Like at least get somebody else's input. 
and we always go back to this, right? Like, what is the threat that's involved? Like, if you if you take a second or you you query like a couple other people when you are building that out, as far as okay, what is the worst thing that could happen, right? Like, if if a you know a parameter is not included, if a malicious user can control the input into this function, like just what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Is, is always a good thing to ask yourself when you're trying to implement some of those functions, especially when it's security related. I, like, I think there's not another like recommendation that I have in that situation, I, unless you have another one, Ken. Yeah, I mean, I think if it ever touches authorization, like I think there's key, there's key indicators. Like uh, I would say, you know, if it's touching authorization, probably don't overload it. Um, you know, if it, even if it's just tangential, if it has anything to do with identity, like uh, your username, um, your role, um, you know, your email address, things like that, don't overload it. Um, yeah, I think like uh, there's definitely some, some, some spots at which you could, and also obviously don't use, um, don't use a method that is, like I said, using some sort of reflection or metaprogramming or whatever you want to call it methods like, you know, instance variable set or whatever, um, with user supplied input, that's like a, a, a no brainer, right? Um, the only time that that's okay is if you're using it there. And again, this gets nuanced because yeah, like there are cases where you could say, okay, well, does a user input match these four elements in an array? And if not, like ignore it, you know, but if it's in the allow list, then it's okay to be, you know, potentially created into some code because I need it to, to do that for whatever reason. Um, so it, even then it, it gets an even further, new, which I guess is why you have a consulting firm and do consulting work yeah. to answer these questions. Right. But yeah, it gets so nuanced and we end up spending a lot of time looking at those sort of functions, right? The more complex that they get, the harder it is, um, I mean, for the developer to keep that all in their head, what the functionality is, how it's provided, what the flow of that application looks like, or what the flow of that function looks like, um, the more nuanced that that is, the harder it is to recognize what those vulnerabilities are, how it could be exploited. And so we end up spending quite a bit of time digging into those different authorization functions, right? I, I know we spend a lot of time talking about it in the course, but that's the reason is because the complexity leads to edge cases that leads to vulnerabilities. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the history of software security right there. The more complex you make an application, the more likely it is that there is an edge case that causes unintentional functionality and allows for security bypasses, right? Yeah. And thanks for bearing with me. Maybe we'll do a super edit to this that's like more uh, to this whole tutorial walkthrough, which is like a super cut of it, uh, a little bit more succinct and concise uh definitely did not know that it was going to be super loud in here when i chose to do this walkthrough <laughs> and it definitely yeah. threw me off so apologies for the nonsensical ram rambling at times and the tech dif difficulties but anyways uh, i just thought it was like maybe hopefully fun for people and if people want to see like obviously more concise version of what we did today um you know let us know because like that's you know stuff that we enjoy too Yep. Other than just talking about, you know, who got hacked or what techniques yeah. are out there or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's always good to dive into that, especially those different frameworks, the different technologies. Obviously, you are more 
uh, familiar with Ruby and Rails than I am, right? Just the course of your career, the, the, the path that you've taken, uh, you've done a lot more of that sort of, you know, meta programming analysis, which is interesting to me. Whereas like, you know, yeah, I get into Objective-C and Swift code and other things, right? Like it, 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 it all just depends on background. Um, but uh, we will, we will be doing more of these. Like, uh, you know, I know initially when we did, when we launched the podcast, we had more of like an AppSec minute idea or, you know, a walkthrough idea where we'd go through some of those recents and, recent vulnerabilities. And I think we're getting back to that more um, just because right, news is interesting, but there's, and there's always going to be news to talk about, uh, but knowing how to prevent it and how they actually manifest in code becomes very interesting to both of us. Very much. Um, so. Yeah. Along those lines, we are talking about after dark episodes. I know we've been teasing it out for a bit. Uh, we've just got to figure out when that actually works for Ken and I, but that'll be coming within the next couple of weeks. We have Jimmy Mesta coming back on the show next week. So uh, look forward to that, talking to Jim, to Jimmy about Kubernetes security and what else he's been doing the last couple of years. Um, and let me think. I know there's other stuff, Ken, but I just don't remember it off the top of my head. Anything else you yeah. want to bring up before we call it for today? No. Thanks for being patient today as I try to fumble through this. But uh, yeah. No worries. No worries. Yeah, that was good. Right. Um, check out the article. If you want to continue the conversation, please, please jump into Slack. Um, we could talk more about those deserialization vulnerabilities, other places that we've seen it. Metaprogramming in general, that's always a, a super interesting topic and how how that manifests in different code bases and different frameworks and languages. So cool. All right. Well, then we will see everyone next week. Uh, yeah. Let us know if there's anything else you want to talk about. Thanks. Hey, okay. ciao.